Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Uh, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. I uh, have a great lineup of uh, guests here today, and we'll get to them shortly. And we've got uh, just a fantastic lineup we'll come out through, uh, through the rest of the year. Hopefully you can uh, join us for that as well. Uh, in case this is the first time that you're on the show uh, or tuning in here to hear the show, kind of a little bit how it works. We generally have a kind of a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. And in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings that we really try to focus in on. And the first is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success. The second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies, as well as motivate and uh, uh, get them to cross the finish line there uh, with their talent goals. So this show really looks to explore those two different areas, along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture, a topic that I'm uh, always fascinated about. Uh, the guests on this show uh, range from CEOs, HR execs, entrepreneurs, and other business leaders. Usually what happens is I'm at a networking event or a conference, and I have the privilege of meeting one of these inspiring leaders. And So I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, and manage culture, and hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Uh, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in here live every Tuesday. Uh, if you have a question for one of our two guests, just uh, shoot them over to us via Twitter, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk. And my producer, Mike, will uh, try to feed them in uh, to me as, as time allows. Uh, don't forget, you can also give us great uh, guest suggestions or anything else you want to talk to us about that way. Finally, don't forget, you can tune in. That's how most people actually listen to the show, is they either pop onto their podcast app on their Apple device and look for Talent Talk in that podcast app, or they turn into iHeartRadio app on any device and uh, download uh, their favorite show that they want to listen to. I think we had almost 226,000 people that tuned into a podcast last week. We really appreciate everyone doing that and listening when it's convenient for you. So uh, I guess without uh, further ado, let's go ahead and uh, get the show started. Uh, my first guest will be uh, Paul McGillicuddy, a retired Air Force general and now a leadership and defense consultant. And then we'll have uh, Chris Brickman, the CEO of Sally Beauty. Uh, I look forward to speaking to Chris at the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to our first guest. Paul, tell us a little bit about yourself and your consulting company. Hey, Chris. Uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's, it, it is indeed an honor to be talking with you today. And your intro was, uh, you know, you, what you guys are doing is just amazing. It really is. And, and when I was in the Air Force, I didn't know that they had such things as leadership coaches and consultants for leadership. And I also didn't know they had talk shows about leadership so it was very fortunate indeed that when i retired from the air force after 31 years that our paths cross and you invited me to be on your show so thank you very much uh, oh it, it's like certainly I, said, I was in the air certainly our pleasure and uh, i appreciate uh, your service uh 
you guys, you must have, Mike must have some great stories. I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, being in the Air Force, really appreciate your service as well. Thanks. Well, I, I was an Army brat growing up, and decided I wanted to fly when I was young. Uh, went to the Air Force Academy, graduated from there, in 1984. Learned how to fly. Got to fly six or seven different types of airplanes all over the globe, and I was fortunate to be a leader and a commander on several occasions in Lead America's finest, her sons and daughters. And I will tell you, the highlights of my career, as fun as flying was, uh, commanding airmen was always was always the best. Well, and you've had a, a very uh, distinguished career. We was had, uh, finishing off as two-star general, uh, working uh, you know for the Air Force Chief of Staff and and then uh, Chief Operating Officer. So you, you've even received some uh, great awards, like being a Distinguished Service Medal. So can you talk a little bit about how some of these different experiences helped you develop your own personal understanding of leadership? Sure, Chris. Thanks. Uh, you know, as you as you're a junior officer coming up in the ranks you you look at your who your leaders are you look at what they do and you know a lot of it is you see what you don't like and so you, you, you tell yourself you never want to do that and and by the time you become a leader you've seen so many great leaders that you you can try and emulate them the other thing the Air Force does is they they do leadership development from day one you're constantly going to classes learning about leadership you're doing case studies about leadership, and from time to time they send you away for a year at a time to uh, study and learn a little bit more about leadership. So when you when you step into the role, you're never as prepared as you'd like to be, but you're probably more prepared than you ever thought you would be. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, this is a common theme that we get from people that we might peg as being great leaders, that they have taken that time to observe what they see in great leaders and also observe what they have seen in, in poor leaders and to make that, whether it's a mental note or a, a real change in their own behaviors to make sure that they don't go down the wrong road and that they continue down that path. Um, for me, that's partly in how this show really came about, that really wanting to understand what it is specifically that great leaders were doing, not just to try to emulate their their achievements or that they're, hey, they're a good leader, I want to be like them. But what, what is it that they're actually doing? What are those little, small, intricate, intricate things? And it sounds like from your training that that's what you've had a great deal of exposure to, that you have that, uh, I don't know if you would, you, would, you, would, you would categorize it this way or not, but being in, the, uh, in a, a military operation, you might be slightly more in a bubble uh, than maybe the average person walking down the street and have maybe a bit more opportunities to, to lead people and to, to observe that. Would, would, you, would that seem accurate? I, I, I would say it is, and I'll throw something else out at you. Uh, you, can, you can learn from the great leaders, but what you're really looking at are character traits. And when you go back and reflect upon who your great leaders were, you find out that they had a, a few similar character traits. One, they were probably humble, and they probably uh, were were people of integrity. And integrity and humility go hand in hand as a leader. And those are those are two character traits, and those are two things that you absolutely can't compromise while you're a leader. And everything else will will seem to take care of itself if you get those two right. 
Yeah, and you know, and there's a certain amount of uh, I have found as well that you need to have the the right leader in at the right time and kind of the right place, right? Because I feel like I could lead a group of people in almost any situation, but you put me in charge of the brain surgery crew, and I could probably be a leader, but I don't know some of the technical things that I need to know to ultimately be successful in that environment. So, you know, great leaders, too, have to be well-prepared and well, um, uh, you know, in the right place in the for, for that for that uh, type of a scenario, right? Certainly, certainly technical competence helps. As a, as a leader of any organization, you've got to be able to not only walk the walk, but also talk the talk. But at the same time, if you if you have fundamental character flaws, there's no mm-hmm. amount of uh, technical competence that will that you'll be able to overcome those character flaws. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm assuming that you know some of these things that you're talking about then have translated over into your consulting role as well. Uh, what are the areas that you find people or organizations are looking to strengthen as you talk to them and, and, and teach them uh, in this new role that you're you've taken on? Well, that's a that's a great question. Uh, when you go into an organization, you find out that generally they're they're well led and they're they're mostly led by uh, folks that are very conscientious of their job and their role in the organization. And so it's normally, normally a brushing up here and a brushing up there. And when you get, when you get up to these levels of leadership, you become more of a sounding board and you become a confidant to someone who, and you don't necessarily give them advice, uh, in the strictest sense. You might ask them questions and get them to sound out their ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I want to maybe point out for those listening that maybe didn't hear something that uh, he mentioned, that you you mentioned that you're typically being brought into organizations that are well-led, and I find that point fascinating, that it is those companies that are doing a great job with leadership development that tend to bring in someone like yourself to make sure that they're doing the best job they can, when it's really those that are doing the worst job that should be bringing you in to help them. And yet they're the ones that are the least likely to do that. That's true. I will tell you, a, a, key, a key trait and characteristic that you need to be a successful leader, especially at the senior levels, is a healthy dose of self-awareness. And so what you're talking about is, is an organization that might be being led by somebody who's not self-aware enough to know that they have an issue, right? Because the first thing you have to do is admit that you have a problem before you can start fixing it. Right, right. I mean, we don't imagine that, uh, you know, the, the the guy, let's say, that used baseball as an example, who, who, you know, won the batting, you know, championship that year would then have a coach and be working on, you know, their their swing. But that's probably exactly what they're doing. And, you know, the guy who batted the, had the worst percentage is really the one that should be used, doing the most amount of work to get better. But in these leadership roles or these, these organizations, it's it's just absolutely fascinating. I think maybe you hit the nail on the head that they don't have that self-awareness that they have a problem or they're not willing to, you know, to swallow that, that, that jagged pill of, I we need help, we've got to get, you know, do something different if we want to make a change. That's true. So as a consultant, I know you kind of specialize in working with the small to mid-sized defense contractors. And 
One of the things that you help design uh, is a company strategy, a mission statement, vision statements, uh, core values, things like that that are really important to organizations, especially as a starting point. Are you surprised at all by the number of companies that are missing one or more of these key elements? I am, uh, to be quite honest with you. I've had the opportunity uh, twice to travel the globe and sit in on probably 40 to 50 different companies' mission briefs. And they they do very good in the mission statement area. They do fairly well in the vision statement area. But out of seeing almost 100 organizations give these briefs, only one of them led with their core values, which to me was uh, quite startling. So why do you think that is? Did they not value it? Did they not have them figured out? And what was the problem? Well, I, I think it's a combination. I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, Simon Sinek says, you know, why ask why? And you really ought to be asking yourself, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And who are we? And once you answer those questions, you can go forward with the vision station, uh, vision statement and the mission statement. But if you don't have the, the core values nailed down, I think it makes that a little more difficult. Yeah, really defining your purpose as an organization. And a lot of times in the talks that I give, I have to, to kind of define that as the purpose is not to make money. You you have to make money, you know, that you also, you're not going to have a company, right? There's a certain obligation right. to that. But why is it we do what we do and provide what we provide or however you want to categorize that based on if it's a service or a product? Figuring that part out is hard, especially to get it right and to have the right thing down that isn't somehow related back to the bottom line or profit or what have you. And so maybe at that level that's somewhat getting lost because there's such a pressure to make sure that are we growing, are we profitable, uh, and those types of things as opposed to are we staying true to our our core values uh, as an organization. That's true, and I and I will tell you in the business world it's a, it's a little bit it's a little bit tougher to start uh, to do those things. And I'll tell you, you know, it's probably my military background that makes me want to start with the core values because every service has core values. And if you go get a brief from either the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps on those services, their their first slide is going to be their core values. So maybe you know maybe it's my background and my upbringing. That, that makes me think that way. But I also think your better organizations have something they can fall back on at times of trouble. Yeah, and I think, you know, in a military standpoint, there is a matter, there's an element of life and death, there's an element of getting people to be better and stronger and more, uh, than they ever thought they could be. And so you have to have that in order to get that sort of outcome out of people. In corporate America, you don't have to have that. You, you people can come and go. You, there isn't maybe necessarily a life and death in say most situations. Um, so maybe we get lazy or we get complacent uh, or we lose sight. Maybe that's the the better way to put it. So, but it is just as important as what you're talking about in, in those those situations. So. When you when you get to that point, you see one of these companies struggling. Where do you start? Do you start at the core values? Uh, you know, if they're missing one of these things, I think the, the the best way to start is just with a general conversation with the leader of the organization, and just talk to them and and ask probing questions and leading questions, and find out where they are and where they want to go. And I think from there you can you know you can start offering up 
uh, bits and pieces of advice. But I think most of this is, is talking it out and taking the time out of your busy day and your busy schedule to actually sit down and think about these things. So once you've had that conversation and maybe you've kind of identified it, do you find that leadership sometimes has some difficulties in readjusting their thinking or their vision you know, to a new model that, that might lead to more success but they're maybe not as comfortable with? It can happen. I, I mean, we're all human. I mean, change is, change is tough, but change is constant, too. And if you just remind yourself that, then it's, it's easier to accept, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, I guess it depends. If you're, they're ready for a change and they've brought you in, I guess the, the, that first part's already done. So, right. <laughs> As opposed to right. you being a court-appointed uh, culture changer, right? <laughs> right. That's a tough situation. So you know, you've obviously been surrounded by some talented individuals during your time uh, in the Air Force, and I'm sure even now in the work that you're doing. As a leader, do you see um, what do you see as the keys then to get the most out of the talent that's around you at that time? Well, what goes hand in hand with the core values and the vision and the mission statement is communication. As the leader, you have to continuously communicate your vision. You have to continuously communicate the mission statement. You have to live by the core values. And, and you have to try and relate just about every action the organization is doing and relate it back to those fundamentals. And if you can do that, people will get it. They'll be on board. Uh, I've seen it happen. But you have to, you have to uh, continuously communicate it. Yeah, and uh, that's a big, uh, a big challenge, I think, for companies right now is to not only communicate, but you actually have to over-communicate. you got to do it m- more than what you think should be necessary or uh, satisfactory to get that across. And you may have to do it in different mediums. Um, I-, I often will joke about my company that if we have to have a tough conversation, get out some really important information, there's a, probably a group of people i got to take to dinner. There's a group i got to email. There's a group I should text. There's a group I need to um, IM. And, you know, and then I may duplicate that across those different mediums, but I got, I got many different generations in my company who want to get their information a different way. And so we try to be effective in our communication, uh, by changing up the mediums, by saying it multiple times in multiple different ways for multiple different people. And, 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 and my company is not anywhere near as big as, you know, some of these global companies that are trying to make this kind of communication. So it can be a really, really difficult thing for companies to do to get that word out and be effective, right? That's true. And, and you, you touched upon the medium and you have to use every medium available. Uh, social media is here to stay, at least for the time being, anyways. And people are out there. They're using it. But the other thing is you have to have the consistent message. Whatever you're saying, it's got to be consistent, and it's got to you. You've got to just keep, for lack of a better word, just keep pounding at home. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you got to stay on task and keep it, uh, keep it consistent. That that one's tough to do for a lot of people, and um, but it's something. And I think if they understand their core values of the and and, and your purpose and why we're doing what we're doing, that does make it a bit easier. Um, you know, some some companies are jumping from one thing to the next just because they really haven't figured out the, the that core or why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, we can kind of look at your background and you know, do some keynote speaking and kind of take a real honest approach to, to that and providing some examples about your biggest challenges and and uh, you know even triumphs in leadership. So, you know, if you can draw on one or 
two uh, of those, what would you say are some of your biggest challenges and or you know triumphs that you've had as a leader? Right. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, it's hard for me to to look back and and toot my own horn on what I think or think I did great because everything that I did. I didn't really do anything. I was I was given the honor and the privilege of, of leading a great organization, a great men and women who actually achieved and accomplished the mission. So I, I just have a tough time with that. I, I'll tell you that when I do my keynote speaking, it's a lot easier to talk about the things that I messed up and the lessons I learned from those and try and pass those on to folks because it does two things. One, it it, it tells them that, Hey, you're not alone when you make a mistake as a leader because it happens to everybody. And it's also a better way to, to get a lessons learned across. And I've got plenty of those stories, uh, from some of my failures along the way. Yeah, yeah. I think we've all got a few of those stories. It's, it always seems to, you're right. And when you're up there talking, it seems to connect you better to the audience, but it's not very much fun to talk about the times you screwed up though. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, you're right, and it you know it, it's it's very humbling. It really is, mm-hmm. and that's I will tell you, leadership. If if you're going about thinking because thinking that because you've become the leader of an organization, you're all of a sudden infallible, and that the people that put you in charge have made the right choice, and I use that with quotations, you're setting yourself up for a, a big time failure. Uh, the fact of the matter is. You know, when you're the leader, you're still going to be the same person that you were the day before you woke up. And that individual, no matter who they are, is going to make some mistakes along the way. And you have to remember that uh, the position, there's a lot of perks that come with becoming a leader, but it's it's good to stay grounded. Uh, and, and you really have to work on that. And that's where that self-awareness comes in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering, uh, you know, given your accomplishments as a leader and uh, both in what you're doing now and uh, your previous career in the Air Force, is there someone or something that you think really impacted you to go down this road and, and, and to take such a kind of a, you know, heavy slant in your life towards leadership uh, that, you know, really, really, maybe really impacted you? I uh, I was I was blessed the entire time I was in the United States Air Force where I had great squadron commanders and squadron commanders normally have been in the air force for anywhere between 15 and 18 years and they're leading organizations anywhere from about 50 people up to 600 people or so and they're the they're the first they're the they're the folks you meet when you're a very junior officer and they have great influence and impact over your lives and i'll tell you i I, I was just lucky. I had five or six of those that I said, I want to be just like this guy. He's the best squadron commander I've ever had. And that happened to me four or five times in a row. So I was very, very lucky. And I would say those are the folks that probably shaped me the most in the United States Air Force. Yeah. those are. It's great when you can have those kind of mentors and that exposure to people like that can just really helps everyone, everyone that they're uh, managing to grow so much and, it, those are just really important uh, things. It's a good thing to remember for people to, to be mentors to others and to find mentors if you don't have one because it has such a huge impact on, on your own development. 
Well, I, I'm I'm thinking back to when we had David Marquet on the on the show and his great book, Turn That Ship Around, kind of another branch of military and some other great stories coming out of that. But I, I, I'm wondering if there's a particular book that you're reading right now that you might share with our audience. I'm not reading any books right now. What I'm doing is I'm learning as much as I can about social media, uh, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Tumblr, LinkedIn, websites. I'm trying to get as smart as I can on that because I think we're just doing so much in that in that realm these days. So I spend a lot of time learning about that. Well, that's a good thing to learn about because it's uh, there's a lot to do and it's pretty <laughs> can be fairly complicated. So uh, I think well, you... I get I, I get a lot of flack from my daughter from that too <laughs> because she she's embarrassed that her dad is actually on Instagram. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Instagram's pretty uh, that's pretty straightforward, but yeah, it's the uh, some of the other ones. Um, uh, Snapchat. My kids were like, "You're on Snapchat, really." I'm like, well, I want to see what it's all about, right? Oh, and I want to see your stuff. No, 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 no. <laughs> right, right. I, that's right. I need to. When I open up a Snapchat, a Snapchat account, I think that'll be the day my daughter just really gives up on me. Right. <laughs> well, how can people uh, learn more about you if they're interested in having you uh, consult for them or speak or anything like that? What's the best way for them to find out more? Chris, I think the best way for them to find out more is to go to my website paulmcgillicuddy.com. It's all one word, uh, and in there you'll see everything you need to know about my consulting business, speaking, sitting on board of directors, etc. And for anyone who is spelling challenge like myself, McGillicuddy is spelled M-C-G-I-L-L-I-C-U-D-D-Y. <laughs> hey, Chris, thanks, thanks for pointing that out, too. <laughs> Appreciate it. No problem. We're on radio. Sometimes people don't have time to hit that pen. So if they're on the podcast, they can rewind and listen. But, Paul, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Really appreciate everything you share with us today. And uh, hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us some updates. Chris, thank you very much. It was, it's been an honor and a, a pleasure to be on the show with you. All right, fantastic. Up next, we have Chris Brickman, who will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 
Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have uh, we just had a great guest uh, with Paul McGillicuddy was on the show, and now we're going to be uh, coming up here and having uh, Chris Brickman join us. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, go to talenttalkradio.com and hear all our past episodes and check out the site there, uh, as well as iHeartRadio or uh, the podcast app on any Apple device. Just type in Talent Talk. Find my ugly mug on there, and you can uh, hear all the past shows. Uh, and share them uh, socially if you like. So appreciate all you listening and tuning in. Don't forget, if you have a question for Chris, you can send it to us via Twitter right now, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk, all one word with that little hashtag, or for or the rest of us, the, the uh, pound sign. Um, and we'll uh, try to work them in the show. But uh, So we'll have Chris Brickman. He's the CEO of Sally Beauty. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris, and thank you for having me on. So tell us about yourself and uh, about your company. Well, uh, I'm obviously CEO of Sally Beauty. I've been here about a year, a little less, uh, a little less than that as CEO. Uh, before that was president of international for Kimberly Clark. But I've had a, a long career with lots of different jobs, and, and a lot of that went into the book, obviously, in terms of lots of different opportunities to learn and grow. And uh, Sally Beauty is a global specialty retailer of beauty products that has about 5,000 stores globally, about 80% of that in the United States, uh, and about $4 billion in, in revenue. Wow, that's quite a uh, that's quite a company. Then you've got uh, worldwide operations, a kind of huge amount of revenue, uh, and probably a lot of different things that you've got to deal with on a daily basis, uh, uh, be, being all over the globe. That sounds fascinating. Now you mentioned the book, um, and you are an author, uh, the, the Brilliance and Failure: A Leader's um, Learning Journey. Tell us in a nutshell what what we could expect uh, to find in that in such a book. Well, uh, the book is really all about all the things uh, I messed up across my career and how those uh, failures were opportunities for growth and development. Uh, and uh, it's you know I found that using those personal experiences and sharing them transparently and in sometimes cringeworthy moments uh, that uh, was a was a way of making learnings and lessons accessible rather than being preachy. So, you know, this is something that happens a lot on the show, but we just, we couldn't have planned this better. We just had a retired general tell us how sharing his mistakes was probably one of the best things he ever did. And now we have a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company saying, here's all the mistakes I made and how, and sharing them is an important part of, you know, being a leader and, and improving. And so many people want to hide and not tell anyone they made a mistake. They want to cover it up. They don't want to... To, to let anyone know that they, they screwed up, and yet that's almost sort of counterintuitive to what our best leaders are saying you should be doing. C- can you talk to that a little bit about maybe with the, that kind of that average person who's struggling with that, maybe the way they ought to uh, kind of approach dealing with mistakes in, internally in an organization? I mean, I, I see it with leaders at all levels, uh, whether it be junior or even senior. Uh, there's a great deal of fear uh, associated with feeling like they're somehow showing that they're imperfect. And so then there's this desire to put off this perfect facade, uh, and yet everybody knows that nobody's perfect, right? And, you know, the reality is is that when you open yourself up to the fact that, hey, I'm, I'm a good leader, I, I do the right thing uh, a lot, I, I'm pretty smart, I think, but the reality is I'm going to make mistakes, and I need to invite my team to be there and be prepared to coach me or challenge me when I do make a mistake or when I'm going down the wrong path in my problem solving. And if I don't invite them into that, then guess what? They're, you know, that no one's going to tell the emperor they got no clothes on. 
Right. And um, that's that's what's really powerful about this is it is it changes the dynamic with your team so that they feel empowered to challenge and problem solve with you uh, rather than just assume that they should do what they're told. So is that kind of the advice that does that flow into what you might tell an aspiring leader about their own personal growth on how they can best understand that road to success within, you know, with, you know, kind of going through an organization? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. The reality is, is that, you know, and I, there's a chapter in the book I called The Cruel Joke, and in many cases, aspiring leaders spend the first 10 years of their career, you know, and it's all about them. It's all about shining in the right moment and uh, making the perfect presentation and doing the perfect report at the right time or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, when you have to lead other people, you need to make it all about the people that work for you and not about you. Because you're not going to be a treasured leader, someone that people want to follow, if it's all about you. And, you know, so there's this inflection point that a lot of people have to make in their careers, and many don't make it, where they have to stop focusing on how do I make myself stand out from the crowd and shine to how do I make my team stand out from the crowd and shine and take a little bit of a step in the background so that I can let them shine. Well, that gets into a little bit of this idea of, you know, is there a correlation between personal success and professional success? And can you be successful in one but not the other to ultimately be an effective leader? What are your thoughts on that? You know, listen, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I think you can. I, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who have amazing lives with their spouse or, or partner and family who aren't very good leaders, uh, and, and, uh, and vice versa, by the way. There's people who are great, you know, who are very good leaders who probably don't have much in the way of personal lives. Um, you know, I, I think the reality is, is that for myself, as, as I became more open to the idea that I, A, I needed the people around me to be successful, that I needed to, to release my agenda and sometimes listen and capture their insights and ideas and then use that to make the overall idea and agenda better, uh, made me better at, at, with my wife uh, as well as at work. Uh, and I think that's just all a matter of feeling secure in your own skin and, and understanding that, you know, life isn't a constant uh, uh, battle or attack on you. It's more about this process of just learning and growing and getting better. And, and uh, hopefully you keep doing that your whole life. Right, absolutely. That the idea of being a lifelong learner and trying to get better is it's not one that is consistent in, in society. I mean, you have people, uh, this even gets into Carol Dweck's book, but uh, to people who have a fixed mindset that think that, that things are the way they are and I, you know, I can't have a lot of change and you have other people that think, well, this is just another challenge for me to learn something. It's This mistake is another way for me to figure out the right way to do it. And that can be a challenge, right? If you, if you think that things are the way they are just because of the way they are, you're not really going to get a whole lot better, uh, whether it's in your career or at home, like you said, uh, in there. So I, I know a lot of our... Go ahead. I think there's a, that's a big risk, right? At the point in time you you get to your point in career where you think you should know it all, yeah, is the biggest risk about when you're going to grow stale and the bullet's been fired and it just hasn't hit you yet. And you know the reality is is that you know one of the things I do with my team is I force us to to go out and do all kinds of in the market days where we don't go visit our own stores, we go visit everybody else's stores. Uh, and we go look at other people's beauty products. We go look at other people's competitor offers. It, and it's not because I want to criticize us based on them. I want to learn. I want to learn from them, and I want us to get better because we learn one tidbit every time we go out. 
And, you know, the minute you think you know it all is the minute you're dead and don't know it yet. Right. Right, absolutely. And that's, it's fantastic work that you're doing. If you guys out there trying to learn from your competitors in that, in that realm, uh, that can certainly help keep you fresh and, you know, in the marketplace and what you need to be doing. A lot of people just put their head in the sand and they think that their products and services are, are the best no matter what. And, uh, suddenly they can find they're out of the market in a heartbeat. <laughs> you know, today's successful strategy is tomorrow's failure. Right. And, uh, it's just a matter of time. Right, right, absolutely. We have so many examples of that. We could look at the music industry just as one. But <laughs> so, so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs start out thinking that they have the best, most innovative product, and they'll, you know, there's no way that their, their product will just take off because they have ideas that, you know, where it may be going. And then reality kind of hits, they realize that they weren't as prepared as they thought they were. They may have had some initial success and then, you know, they can kind of stumble. So what would you say to these types of leaders that can get them to kind of understand uh, that the road may not be as they, as planned? It, sort of this idea that, I, I mean, I know a lot of people that say don't even make a business plan because by the time you, you, you've gotten going in the, in the business, the business plan is now outdated, right? Uh, it's about having the right people in the right seat. So have you seen some of that, that, you know, entrepreneurs get out there, they start in one direction and they can get, you know, get kind of frustrated into what's the right place for them to go to put their energies? I don't have a better way to put it. Yeah, you know, listen, I think it's a great learning here, and I think, you know, given that you just had a general on, I know there's a military saying, which is the best business, uh, the best battle plan doesn't survive the first day of battle. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of reality to that. And, you know, people get so set in their ways, and you need to remain core to a value proposition that you believe stands out, but you also got to learn, adapt, persevere, and repeat. And, you know, there is this reality in the world, which is you get out there, you put, you know, one of the things I try and get my teams to do is innovate fast and fail fast. And you can go do market research around a product or a a product launch or a new marketing strategy, and you can test it to the end of the earth. But at the end of the day, the only way you know whether it works or not is to try it. And what I'd rather do in in a company, as an example, is have lots of little innovation trials good data around it where we learn from the marketplace and then come back and say, well, which ones worked and which ones didn't, and let's do a lot more of the ones that worked and a lot less of the ones that didn't. And, you know, this is something that it's hard for an entrepreneur to do because they get so emotionally attached to their product or their or their core original idea. But, you know, and, and there is some value to that, right? You can't go too far astray or else somehow you're in a completely different business that you don't know anything about. But at the same time, you have to be willing to learn and try and test and fail fast and fail cheaply and, and then be able to invest around the learnings and say, hey, this didn't work, but you know what? This did. Uh, can we pivot and move this direction and, and, you know, make a lot more money by doing this? And, um, you know, it's it's to me it's a learned behavior. Whether it's at a company or an entrepreneur, the reality is is that uh, you can't get set in your ways. You, you really can't. You gotta you gotta be adapting to what's changing. And and I think it's no it's never been truer than today because I just think the world is disintermediating so fast today. If you're not learning and growing, you know, you're dying. Yeah, and and we could even you know do this as a slight uh, kind of case study here from a culture perspective within your own company. Maybe you can talk about what the difference. You're, we're talking about mistakes a lot on the show today. So, for some people, they may not quite understand what we mean by a mistake. Because I tend to categorize a mistake as something that's very different 
than making than an error in, in in doing your work. So maybe you could talk about what are some of the things that you would categorize as mistakes that we can learn from, that we pivot and, and from, I'm, and things I'm like that. About, in my case, and in the in the book itself, in many cases, there you know there failures where I'm looking retrospectively at a way I handled a situation and looking at it and saying, "Wow, I could have been different in that situation and driven a completely different outcome." So whether it's, you know, in the way I tried to manage a team to an outcome or tried to implement a new project or implement a new, uh, a new initiative, in each case it's looking at what could I have done differently and why didn't I see that in that moment. And, you know, that, so, you know, whether it be a career situation where, you know, I, I'm, uh, looking for new jobs or whether it be in, in a, in running a project and I'm, you know, today I look at that and I go, ah, I gotta get all these people excited about this and tell them the big why and get them rallied around this big idea so I can drive it versus the way I might have done it when I was in my twenties where I would say, here's the answer, let's all go. And in many cases, there, I wasn't investing enough time getting them excited about the idea and them excited about their position and role and opportunity to create value. And I missed the opportunity to really engage their, their hearts as well as their minds and, and, and put them on the team in a meaningful way with a meaningful contribution that they could make. And that, that's what I'm, I'm really taking apart in the book is how could individuals be better leaders and how do you look at yourself and learn and grow from situations where you could have been better and you would have changed the outcome if you had been? So we're looking at that then as a matter of reflection to go back and say, even if I didn't handle the situation terribly, um, how could I have done it better? And if we were constantly reflecting on our own decisions and behaviors and and trying to find new ways so the next time that that comes up, we can be better. Is that a good way to categorize it? Yeah, in some cases I did handle it terribly, <laughs> right? And I, did, I could have been a lot better. And uh, you know, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, but in many cases, these are all about you know where are you at personally? Are you centered? Are you balanced? Are you mature? And in many cases, when I was in my you know twenties and thirties, I was I was very capable and very smart, but I wasn't centered and balanced, and I wasn't thinking about all the people around me. I wasn't aware of, of how what I was doing was impacting them and how a simple change in my behavior could lead to a better outcome for the team. And that's, that's a huge point um, because sometimes such the simplest things that leaders do has such a profound effect on all those people who are following them or are now having to turn to become leaders down in the organization. Um, because they feel like they have the permission to to make mistakes, they have the permission to talk about mistakes, they have the permission to to go back and say, you know what, I think this is working. We need to make an adjustment um, because the organization itself and the leader itself is is doing that. You know, as opposed to we're going to take we're we're not going to admit to any wrong. We're not going to you know everything is okay here. We're all doing great, and suddenly that organization gets very dysfunctional. Well, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I take my accountability uh, in terms of picking great leaders so seriously, right? Because if I pick a bad leader to run a large part of my organization, you know, there's thousands of people that are impacted by that uh, and thousands of people who we may not get the most out of them because of that choice. 
And so whether it be obviously making a bet on someone and putting them in that position or, or by the way, making the tough choice to get rid of them, you know, I, I owe it to the team. I owe it to the organization to make those tough calls because I want them to have a leader who empowers them and inspires them. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you get one of those leaders in the door, what is it you do to really help them in their own personal growth and professional growth uh, so that you can make sure that they are becoming everything they should be, you know, to have that huge impact on those people below them? Well, the, the number one thing I do is complete transparency and directness, which is I'm going to be very direct and complimentary of the things they do well and really try and emphasize that and say, how do I help you build on those strengths? But I'm going to be equally direct and transparent about the things they don't do well and where they can grow and become a more impactful leader. And it is that total commitment to transparency. Those aren't always easy conversations to have. And, again, there's another thing. You can shy away from those conversations. And you may say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings or I want to find just the right way to tell it to them. And I find the best way to tell it to them is right now in the moment and tell it as bluntly as you can and then talk to them about the value they could create if they changed what's possible for them if they changed. And that's the number one I do, a thing I think I do for leaders is I'm going to tell it like it is, but I'm going to do it in a way that is supportive of them in terms of saying here's what's possible for you if you could build off these strengths but then change these behaviors that are holding you back. And how often do you think they, they change as opposed to you having to then instead maybe find someone else who has a strength where that person has a weakness? Because this is something that's come up a lot on the show where, you know, for a lot of people, it, what success is to them is finding those opportunities where they can do the things that they're really, they do really well, and they're not being asked to do those things that they're, they don't do very well. And, and so, if you're in one of those situations with, with one of those leaders, you know, maybe they're not being a very good communicator with their subordinates. Maybe that's a big problem. So, at what point, I guess maybe numbers, are they sometimes able to make that change and become better, or do you sometimes just have to find somebody else to take their role? Yeah, I, I think it's been. I've seen all three scenarios. In some cases, they can't change, and and you you need to replace them. In some cases, they're in the wrong role, where they they actually they would be great if they were in a different role. They just they got put into a position where they needed to be a great communicator and leader, and that's not their strength. They're more of a technical expert. Um, and in some cases, they change. They they make big strides because you know you've challenged them and you, you've put it you've held the mirror up in a really helpful way uh, and and put it in a way that they could buy into which was this is all about making you better and building off of your strengths so I've seen all three happen uh, the reality is is that um, you can't just bias towards the I'm going to get rid of them you have you have to try and invest in them and make the difference but then you also have to be willing to make the tough choice when the time comes yeah, absolutely well so how about you how have you evolved as a leader over time well, you know, I'd say the biggest difference, let me give you a couple of differences. You know, one difference is not trying to be perfect. So I, I definitely, I think, as I was a young leader, was really trying to position myself as, you know, as, as, as perfect, to hold up that facade. And, and so by opening myself up and making it clear to people, listen, I'm not perfect and I want you to challenge me and I invite you to challenge me, um, that's changed in terms of the way people relate to me. The other side is I had to listen more. So I, I got very good at talking and selling a story, um, but not very good at listening and understanding how I could adapt. 
uh, and, and integrate what other people were saying into the ideas and plans that I was developing. And so having to work hard at then saying, okay, I've now told you I'm not perfect. I've told you what I'm thinking. Now you tell me what you're thinking and let me see if I can work that in. And I've got to take a breath sometimes and just wait and let them talk for a bit and then try and find something that says, so let me hear you. Did I, did I hear you right? And, uh, you know, if we integrate that with what I was saying, where's the happy medium? And, you know, the other side would be I, I, I've had to just learn to put it out there in terms of transparency. And I, I think there was a point in time in my life and career where I really wanted people to like me. And so I spent a lot of time sculpting the language that I would talk to them about and, and making sure I didn't offend them. And I've stopped all that. I, I just get it out there on the table and try and position it as I'm trying to make you successful, but I'm going to tell you what I think in a very blunt and direct way. And in the end of the day, if you don't like me, that that's okay, but we still got to get this done because we owe it to the organization. And the minute you stop trying to get people to like you, the more transparent and honest you can be with them. And usually the more respect you get and the better sort of relationship you have with people, um, I mean, this is probably a very dated reference, but it reminds me of uh, Death of a Salesman. It was that Willie Loman sort of, you know, wanting to be liked as, as opposed to being wanting to be respected, right? And yeah. and having that completely different interaction with people in your life, whether they work for you or work with you or are your neighbors. I mean, that's just a completely different interaction. Trying to get the accomplishment of being liked tends to backfire pretty heavily. <laughs> well, in, in my in my my learning is people see through BS really quickly, mm-hmm. and they value authenticity and transparency. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, was there somebody or something that you think happened in your life that kind of helped you become the leader that you are today? Well, I think the answer is there were lots of people, uh, lots of people that bet on me, lots of people who were willing to give me feedback when I needed to hear it. Um, that's and, and by the way, then there were lots of events, obviously, that all went into shaping it. So, you know, I think that that's part of the thing I, I look at more than anything else is I've been so lucky uh, to have, you know, four or five mentors who invested in me and obviously saw the gem uh, that was buried in the dirt and were willing to brush the dirt off a little bit. Uh, and that's part of what you got to do if you're going to be successful is to find those mentors who aren't going to just tell you how great you are, uh, but are also going to be willing to invest in you and tell you how you could be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, you need to be willing to go seek those people out, seek their feedback out, and then listen and learn from it as you grow. And if you're not, if, if, if you're only going to seek out people who want to tell you how great you are, then that will eventually catch up with you in terms of your rate of growth. Absolutely. Well, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is, uh, what book are you reading right now? You know, it's funny. I don't read a lot of books. I read a lot of periodicals, but I'm actually reading one right now. But it's it's not a uh, business book. Uh, I'm reading a book named Isaac Storm, which is all about uh, uh, the Galveston hurricane of 1900 and the early days of weather forecasting. Uh, and I like it because it's a fiction, but it's fiction with an incredible amount of history and detail woven into it, kind of like some of the Civil War books that uh, the Shaharas used to write around gods and generals and some of those. Uh, and it's just a terrific book. I'm really enjoying it. Well, we love all the different answers that we get. Uh, our guests seem to have such a wide range of uh, things that they read, whether it's something like periodicals or 
uh, blogs or they're reading uh, business books or we get a lot of biographies and different you know historical based things. It's it's fascinating. Our listeners love to pick up those different books and uh, and get inspired by those. So. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of great things so far today, and I'm wondering if there was one or two things that you think someone listening should have heard or taken away or written down. Uh, what do you think that was? Well, you know, listen, I, I, I don't expect anybody to write anything down that I say, but, you know, I, listen, I think if people are really committed to personal and professional growth, and they want to be good. There isn't any recipe for it where you're going to read one book and suddenly you're going to be better. You know, what, what I look at this and say, in every situation, I have a chance to influence people to make a difference. I have a chance to, to insert a great idea or a chance to capture a great idea from someone and sponsor it uh, or a chance to shape the agenda in a positive way. And that in every situation, then, my job is not to tell people what to do, but to help them shape the agenda and then inspire them around it. And if you start looking at your job as a leader differently and stop looking at, you know, some people look at it quite narrowly or myopically as my job as a leader is to figure out the right thing and then tell people. That's a very myopic, in my view, flawed view of things. But instead, uh, my job is to help shape the agenda with the team with true open problem solving and then inspire them to go after that agenda and know that I'm behind them and going to help them achieve it. That if they walk out of the room like that, then I've done my job. And leadership is servant leadership. Great leadership is servant leadership. And my, my encouragement to people would be figure out how to leverage what you're good at to be a great servant leader. Well, and if I think they should write it down. So I'm going to tell everyone, write that down and go back, go back 30 seconds on the podcast and hear it again and write it down because that's a great, uh, great advice, great uh, leadership uh, qualities right there that uh, anybody can, can work on. Well, uh, how can people get a hold of, uh, or find, excuse me, how can they find out more about uh, Sally Beauty uh, if they're interested in your products or working for you or just knowing more? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, uh, for, for Sally Beauty, we got 3,000 stores, so there's one near you. Uh, uh, there's a website, sallybeauty.com, which has all of our products online, obviously, as well as we have Cosmoprof, which is our professional stores, and Loxa Beauty, which is another website that sells professional salon brands direct to consumers. I have a website up, which is brilliantsandfailure.com. And, of course, I'm sitting here in Denton, Texas, and live in Dallas. And, you know, if anyone ever wants to reach me, they can simply call the Sally Beauty office is here and you know I love talking about what we do and I love investing to go talk to I talked to quite a few schools and classes about MBA programs as such about you know how can kids learn from this and and how can they begin to you know structure a better career for themselves and so I try and be generous with my time it's not always easy but uh, that's where I get nutrition is is trying to make a difference for some folks who are working their way up and have a real desire to make something different in the world and and uh, so I invest time anytime if people uh, have that kind of an agenda well we appreciate you being uh, generous with your time here today with us on the show and we're uh, just about out of time but thank you so much for being here we really hope that uh, you can come back at some point and give us an update on how your company's doing and all the great things that you guys are up to well i would love to and thank you again for hosting me today all right so uh be sure to tune in at 1 p.m pacific standard time next tuesday that's october 20th if you're listening live my guests will include robin stratton uh burt kessel founder of positivity and eric 
uh, Sokol, uh, founder and CEO of Precisely. Uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. <laughs>